I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing the evolving relationships among the United States, Taiwan, and mainland China. During the eight years of KMT rule in Taiwan from 2008 to 2016, cross-strait relations improved due to Taiwan President Ma Ying-jeou's support for the 1992 consensus. Beijing and Taipei agreed that there was only one China, although Ma Yingzhou insisted that one China was the Republic of China, and Beijing maintained that one China was the People's Republic of China. When President Tsai Ing-wen came to power, she refused to accept this understanding, which led Beijing to take a series of steps to put pressure on Taiwan. Official cross-strait dialogue was suspended. Fewer mainland Chinese tourists visited Taiwan. Beijing poached four of Taiwan's diplomatic allies and put pressure on multinational companies to use language that explicitly refers to Taiwan as part of China. While cross-strait ties have deteriorated, U.S.-Taiwan ties remain strong, despite the lack of official diplomatic relations. Meanwhile, ties between Beijing and Washington have foundered over trade, the South China Sea, and U.S. charges of Chinese interference in U.S. elections. To discuss the present and potential future of cross-strait relations, as well as the Trump administration's approach to this complex set of relationships, I'm joined by Dr. Richard Bush. Uh, Dr. Bush is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and holds the Michael H. Armacost Chair and the Chun Fu and Cecilia Yen Gu Chair in Taiwan Studies in the Center for East Asia Policy Studies at, uh, at Brookings. Richard, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So to start with, how does China view Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen and her political party, the Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP? What is driving China's lack of trust toward her? Uh, basically, um, China believes that uh, the goals of President Tsai and her party are in um, fundamental conflict um, with its own goals. Uh, Beijing believes that Tsai Ing-wen is committed to uh, Taiwan independence, to a separate Taiwan state. Uh, that is contrary to the PRC view that Taiwan is a sovereign territory of China. Um, so from its view, Tsai Ing-wen is challenging its fundamental interest. Now, Beijing sees reasons for its mistrust it sees the Democratic Progressive Party's party charter, which includes uh, uh, the goal of uh, a Republic of Taiwan. Uh, it looks at Tsai Ing-wen's past career, um, that she worked for President Li Denghui and President Chen Shui-bian, each of whom uh, China sees as advocating and promoting Taiwan independence. Um, China sees uh, current moves in Taiwan uh, on education, on um, liberalizing referenda, and on transitional justice, and interprets these as evidence of a covert movement towards independence. Now, I don't think we should quickly accept the PRC framing of cross-strait relations. Um, it claims that uh, Tsai Ing-wen did not um, accept uh, the 1992 consensus and the idea that Taiwan is a part of China's sovereign territory. Um, 
But Tsai Ing-wen, in her inaugural address, did address these issues. She did so in an ambiguous way, um, but it created, I think, the basis for a trust-building process uh, that could have allayed Beijing's concerns if it wanted to have its concerns allayed. I am driven to the conclusion that actually China did not want to have a good relationship with Tsai Ing-wen. It did not want to coexist with her. Um, fundamentally, it does not want to legitimize the DPP. It would rather have the DPP as its enemy. So we have seen in the last two years a, a real ratcheting up of Chinese pressure uh, on Taiwan. It's been, it's been military, economic, as well as uh, diplomatic. How do you see the real drivers of this pressure? Do you think that domestic factors are at play? Uh, is, it, is it mostly about uh, messaging the international community? Um, what do you think China really hopes to achieve by this pressure? Do they think they can actually change Tsai Ing-wen's policies, or, or is it about something else? Uh, there's something really interesting going on here. Um, one could argue that the PRC pressure that is being deployed against Tsai Ing-wen is much worse than what it did uh, towards Chen Shui-bian, uh, the previous leader of the Democratic Progressive Party. But arguably, Chen Shui-bian was much more provocative and much more of a challenge than Tsai Ing-wen is. So something's going on. Now, there may be a domestic PRC reason. Um, there's been uh, questions raised um, within China about the success of Beijing's strategy since 2005. Um, the result of that strategy um, was the election of a DPP president. And so um, people are, would be justified in asking, was it all worth it? Um, I think, though, that the main reason um, for this campaign of pressure and intimidation uh, really has to do with Taiwan itself. I think that Beijing wants to make absolutely clear to the Taiwan public uh, that they will pay a price for electing a DPP government, whether it's 2016, 2020, or on into the future. I think also that uh, China uh, wants to condition people in Taiwan to the idea that China is strong, Taiwan is weak. Taiwan's getting weaker, Beijing's getting stronger. Time is on Beijing's side and unification is inevitable. Um, this intimidation and pressure doesn't have to succeed right away. Uh, if um, the Taiwan public elected uh, a candidate uh, from another party in 2020, I'm sure Beijing uh, would be pleased by that, um, but um, it can be patient. You talked earlier about President Tsai Ing-wen having demonstrated uh, some goodwill early on, and we saw this in some of her speeches. And, and yet in the most recent speech that she gave, which was on October 10th, uh, some people think that this signaled a shift to a tougher stance. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about what her approach is, is to China? She's been very consistent in saying that she wants to preserve the status quo in the Taiwan Strait, but what is the status quo from her mm -hmm. perspective? 
Um, President Tsai, to my mind, um, uh, has been trying uh, since day one to maintain a balance between um, several uh, different uh, competing priorities uh, to play in several different arenas at once. Uh, on the one hand, there's uh, cross-strait relations and the desire to um, continue at least the um, productive economic relations that had uh, developed uh, when Ma Ying-jeou was president. Um, on the other hand, she wants to maintain a good relationship with the United States. Uh, if she goes too far in one direction, then she upsets uh, um, what's going on on the other. At the same time, um, she has to maintain a balance uh, um, between uh, uh, relations with China, relations with the United States, domestic politics, but also issues of domestic policy. Um, I think that she does not want to push things too hard in any one direction. Um, this is probably characteristic of a trade negotiator, which is what she started out as. Uh, in the current situation, um, maintaining U.S. understanding and backing is uh, very important, and I think she's succeeded quite well in that. Um, but she also has to maintain the support of the more pro-independence people um, in her camp. At least she has to avoid alienating them too badly. Uh, these people do vote, and uh, having them come out to vote uh, is important. Uh, these people have been exerting pressure uh, on her. Um, they have been unhappy that she has been too cautious towards the mainland, even in light of this campaign of intimidation and squeezing and pressure. Uh, it feels that uh, she should have pushed back in the way that Chen Shui-bian um, pushed back. More radical elements of her camp have been making different kinds of proposals, um, including, for example, um, on... Uh, Taiwan's nomenclature in the Olympic Games. Um, I read Tsai Ing-wen's speech carefully, and I read it as acknowledging the concerns of the Deep Greens, uh, the more radical part of her coalition, but as also being cautious in her uh, response to China, neither appeasement nor a rash, reckless response. Finally, I would say Basically, that if President Tsai felt, has felt that she needs to get tougher uh, against China, Beijing has its own self to blame. Um, it has been behaving badly. Uh, it has been trying to change the status quo. It's not Tsai Ing-wen or uh, the United States. Uh, and for her not to respond, at least rhetorically, to this bad behavior, uh, I think would be being too cautious, too moderate. You talked, of course, about uh, uh, voting, and, and so I want to ask a little bit about the uh, upcoming uh, elections in Taiwan, which will take place later in November. And I, I wonder whether you think this will have an impact on cross-strait relations and this issue of changing the nomenclature of Taiwan for the uh, Olympic Games in 2020 might be a referendum that's on the ballot. Uh, so will the outcome of the elections and these referenda have much of an in impact going forward on the cross-strait relationship? Um, whether the elections objectively uh, have an impact on uh, cross-strait relations, people will think that, they, that they, the results do. Uh, and um, there's nothing Tsai Ing-wen or any of the rest of us can do to change that. 
Um, I think that the main impact will be the perception that people have as to whether the balance of sentiment, the balance of opinion, um, has shifted in Taiwan concerning mainland China. Um, if the KMT does uh, exceptionally well, um, the conclusion will be, ah, sentiment is moving back to what it was uh, when Ma Ying-jeou came to power. Um, that uh, shift from the DPP to the KMT um, would be perceived in China as a very good thing. We have to remember, though, that uh, there are lots of reasons for election outcomes, and that is true uh, in this one as well. Uh, it will be important to keep in mind that the DPP did exceptionally well in 2014 and 2016. Uh, it probably exceeded its own expectations, uh, and it certainly exceeded the norm for DPP performance. So. I'm going to be surprised if the DPP does as well in 2018 as it did in 2014. There are some factors uh, going on uh, this year that um, were different in 2014. Young people are not as uh, supportive of Tsai Ing-wen as they were in 2014. Um, mobilizing uh, them to get out to vote will be a lot more difficult. Um, on the referenda, I was just in Taiwan and talked to people about that. Uh, the expectation there is that um, at the average voter is very confused about these referenda. Um, it's not even clear how many ballots each voter is going to have to fill out if he or she wants to vote on all the referenda and all the candidates. Uh, there are some other really local elections that are occurring at the same time. So you may have a situation where um, uh, people vote for uh, their magistrate or their mayor, they vote for the county council and so on, but say, enough already, I don't want to vote on the referenda. And, and these referenda have a high bar for any one of them to actually be effective, um, you need 50% of the eligible voters to pass. And um, that actually means you need a supermajority um, to pass those, because not everybody's going to turn out, particularly in a local election. So the expectation was that um, probably none of them are going to pass. I mean, we'll see. I want to dig into the question of the risk of Chinese attack on Taiwan, which some people believe is growing, uh, in part because of the growing pressure that we see in some of the military operations that China um, is, uh, is conducting uh, against Taiwan. So uh, China has long had this policy of peaceful unification, and Xi Jinping has not changed that policy um, from my perspective. Um, but there's nevertheless the question of whether China will lose patience with this peaceful unification policy. And uh, I also wanted to ask whether Chinese um, red lines are clear in, in any case and, and how you see the real risk of war in the Taiwan Strait. Is, is, it, is it growing? Is this something we need to be concerned about? Uh, my one-word answer is no. I don't think the risk of war is growing. Um, let's unpack this uh, phrase, peaceful unification. Everything hangs on the word peaceful and how you define it. Uh, 
uh, as it applies in the short term to and long term to issues in cross-strait relations. I think we in the United States believe that this term peaceful means that any change in the uh, status quo of cross-strait relations should be, first of all, nonviolent, uh, and second, voluntary on Taiwan's part. I think the Chinese definition is nonviolent only, um, and intimidation can be nonviolent and therefore peaceful. Um, as we've discussed, um, Beijing has already initiated a pretty systematic campaign of intimidation. Um, that includes diplomatic measures, economic measures, uh, military measures, a penetration of the Taiwan political system in a particularly nasty way. Um, they would say, oh, this is all very peaceful. I think Taiwan would say, or many people in Taiwan would say, um, this may be nonviolent, but it is um, inappropriate and unjust. Um, it, is, it is true that uh, we've seen a ramp up in military activity around Taiwan. Um, I think this is part of the intimidation campaign. I don't think that this reflects uh, um, creating a set of circumstances where the People's Liberation Army could migrate from uh, exercises to war. Um, but I don't think uh, the um, leaders in the PRC are going to order war. Um, as I suggested before, Beijing believes that Taiwan is on its side. Um, they probably believe that uh, intimidation has uh, lower risk uh, associated with it than war, uh, and maybe over time uh, the results will be just as good. Now, you asked an important question about red lines. Um, I think Beijing's principal red line that Taiwan should not move to de jure independence is quite clear. Um, some polling has been done in Taiwan asking people, first of all, um, if you had your choice, would you like uh, to have an independent Taiwan? And a significant uh, share of respondents um, say, sure. If you then follow up and ask them, well, would you still want it if you knew in advance that war was going to come? They say, oh, no, not at all. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll want something else. Um, so I think that People in, in Taiwan, uh, they're very pragmatic. They understand the consequences of their action that if they went in this uh, direction that, that did cross uh, Beijing's principal red line. Now, what is, subject, what is subject to question in terms of Chinese calculation, I think, is the accuracy of their perceptions of what is going on uh, in terms of the intentions of Taiwan leaders. Um, if Beijing believes that its red line has been crossed, uh, even though objectively it hasn't, um, then we're in trouble. Uh, right now, Beijing believes that Tsai is changing the status quo and the United States is helping. Uh, I think um, that overestimates the, the danger to China's interests. Um, it underestimates the strength of Taiwan's identity, the opposition to unification, 
and a Taiwanese resentment of bullying. Uh, even though the risk of war, I think, has not changed, I do think that China's political impatience has increased, and I think we're likely to see that continuing over time, even if we have a KMT government return to power. So let's talk a little bit about the role of the United States in cross-strait relations. Um, we could do a whole podcast, I'm sure, on, mm -hmm. that, uh, on that topic. But uh, what do you see is the U.S. role today, U.S. policy? Is the Trump administration's policy towards Taiwan really significantly different than prior administrations? And, and is there a a, a Trump factor. Uh, we have the U.S.-China trade war going on and, and tensions over various issues. Uh, does, does the Trump factor affect this, uh, this relationship in a way that is very different than prior presidents? As a general rule, when cross-strait relations are positive, the United States supports the process from the sidelines. When cross-strait relations are less positive, we have engaged with, with what might be called dual deterrence, warning the PRC against war, but also warning um, Taiwan uh, against uh, excessive provocation of China. Uh, I think we're in a new situation now with the Trump administration because at least some people in the administration um, clearly believe that uh, China is um, working to um, totally change the status quo in East Asia uh, to at least uh, reduce the power and influence of the United States, if not um, drive the United States out of the region. Uh, in this view, um, China is a revisionist power. This view, I think, would say we basically have a choice between uh, appeasement and accommodating to this or confronting it and challenging it. And um, uh, the Trump administration uh, in its national security strategy uh, indicates a clear preference for um, challenging um, PRC intentions and actions. Uh, in that quest, it needs all the help it can get. And I think we can see um, a belief that Taiwan is becoming a strategic asset um, for this policy of resistance uh, and uh, a number of steps to um, improve uh, U.S.-Taiwan security relations. Um, the trade war and our tensions with China haven't affected the U.S. role directly. They haven't affected U.S.-Taiwan relations directly. Um, in fact, um, Although some in Taiwan might uh, be happy to see the United States opposition to China grow, um, uh, others worry that it might increase Taiwan's insecurity uh, and that um, the United States, uh, uh, that China might punish Taiwan for U.S. moves. Um, on the trade war, because of the nature of the Taiwan economy and because of the composition of its exports and imports from China, um, the increased American tariffs on Chinese goods uh, has not had a, a really serious effect 
However, um, the president has started talking uh, in late October about um, putting tariffs on the remaining $267 billion in Chinese goods uh, that are exported to the United States. Now, it happens uh, that the many of the goods uh, in that set or subset are things that are very important to Taiwan companies, that uh, certain major Taiwan companies manage the supply chains of products like iPhones and iPads and uh, notebook computers. Uh, these are assembled in China and therefore count as a Chinese good for U.S. customs and for the U.S. Um, trade deficit with China. Um, if uh, the cost of an iPhone here in the United States goes up, um, these Taiwan companies will suffer because their, their business will be affected. Uh, so there is concern that um, sooner or later that's where the Trump administration will go, and so they will be collateral damage um, in this trade war. Um, I should say also that the administration is actually split when it comes to Taiwan. Uh, the national security uh, agencies, uh, as I said, uh, see Taiwan as a good partner. Uh, the economic agencies are taking a rather hard line on the improvement of our relations um, with Taiwan. Um, Donald Trump himself is a wild card, uh, but um, in the last year or so, he has tended to side with the PRC when it comes to Taiwan. There is a potential, uh, of course, for uh uh, Taiwan's interest to be damaged, and many of us think about those risks. I think on the uh, on the one side, there's the potential that people worry about that Taiwan could be used as a bargaining chip, uh, and uh, in order to cut some deal between the United States and China. And then I think on, uh, there's also uh, the risk that uh, the United States could try to do something uh, that would strengthen uh, U.S.-Taiwan relations, but then Beijing might end up punishing Taiwan mm -hmm. uh, as a result, and its security could end up worse off rather than better off. So how do you think about those two risks? The first risk of Taiwan being uh, a bargaining chip uh, goes to the point of Donald Trump being um, a wild card. Uh, this was his psychology uh, right after the election, uh, but um, it receded uh, in importance due to a, a good bit of pushback. Um, and um, so in his main bargaining with uh, China over trade and North Korea, it has not come into play. But I can't rule out the possibility that it may come back. Um, I think others in his administration would not support this, um, but um, he has a way of imposing his uh, priorities. Um, I would hope that somebody in the United States would ask the president of Taiwan whether she wants uh, her country to be used as a bargaining chip. I think I know what her answer would be, um, but um, I'm not counting on that. Um, I uh, have heard uh, that um, you know, there is uh, some worry in Taiwan that if we were to improve uh, security relations with Taiwan or if we were to 
um, use um, our military forces as a way of signaling Beijing about our opposition to their moves that Taiwan um, could be punished. Um, I think that the United States stance towards uh, Taiwan would have been tougher um, whether Secretary Clinton had won the presidency or Donald Trump um, uh, as a response to China's own coercive behavior. Um, but um, I think the Chinese view that um, the United States embo is emboldening Taiwan independence is simply wrong. Uh, first of all, it assumes that Tsai Ing-wen is pursuing Taiwan independence, which I don't think she is. Um, and uh, um, Chinese scholars cite uh, various kinds of evidence uh, um, to justify that view of uh, U.S. emboldenment, um, but I think most of it is irrelevant or wrong. Um, in short, uh, this administration's actions related to, to Taiwan, I think, are mainly a response to China's own coercive behavior. There are risks involved with that. Um, uh, it appears that the administration believes that the risks are worth running. I hope that we have good communication uh, about this step or that step just to make sure we're on the same page with Taiwan. Uh, at, at the end of the day, um, I hope and I'm sure Taiwan hopes that uh, this package of moves will induce restraint on Beijing's part, both vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan but also vis-a-vis -vis the larger region. The real key, of course, to diffusing um, these tensions uh, and promoting a more positive relationship among these three parties, the U.S., uh, China, and Taiwan, um, it is, is really for the cross-strait relationship to begin to stabilize and go in a, in, in a better direction. So what would it take for the, for the cross-strait relationship to improve, and is it likely to happen? Um, that's a $64,000 question. Um, one way that it would improve is if Tsai Ing-wen capitulated to Chinese demands. Um, but she's addressed them. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, a second way would be for China to change its assessment of Tsai Ing-wen and Taiwan public opinion. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because I think that uh, a decision was made early on um, to um, – not coexist with Tsai Ing-wen and wait for something else. Now, it could be that uh, if the KMT returned to power, um, that that would lead to an improvement in cross-strait relations. The assumption, of course, here is that uh, this new KMT government would return to the sort of approach that Ma Ying-jeou had. Um, that's not guaranteed. Um, but we have to recognize that the Ma Ying-jeou approach was uh, suffering from um, diminishing returns uh, in the second term. Um, in my view, um, if a KMT candidate became president and said, um, I accept the 1992 consensus and that's all I'm going to do, that's not going to be acceptable to Beijing because I think Beijing wants to move beyond uh, economic relations, which is really what the 1992 consensus uh, enabled. Um, it really wants political talks. To my mind, the best way 
to see an improvement in cross-strait relations, and the one that is probably not going to happen, is for China to change its offer to Taiwan, uh, to move off one country, two systems, um, and to think of another way that uh, the fundamental dispute between the two sides of the strait could be resolved. Um, one country, two systems has now passed its 36th birthday. Um, in the interim, the world has changed, Taiwan has changed, China has changed. Um, it's time for um, the Chinese government to catch up with the times. Terrific. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Uh, we've been talking about U.S.-China-Taiwan relations with Dr. Richard Bush, who's senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and holder of the uh, Michael Armacost Chair and the Chen Fu Cecilia Yengu Chair in, uh, in Taiwan Studies. Thanks again. It was a great pleasure. Thank you.